morning, as we go to the, the Scriptures, I want to thank Alyssa for that Scripture this morning, Romans chapter 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? It's a, it's a, a beautiful Scripture, and one we, we like to quote and see written and things of that nature, but we need to dig deeper. We need to believe it, and just think of the power of those words. If God is for us, then who? Who or what can be against us? I'm so grateful that that verse was chosen this morning. In the next few moments, I'd like for us to look at Old and New Testament as we go through our time of teaching. I appreciate the feedback from last Sunday morning from many of you. To be quite honest, I expected a lot of negative feedback, not from you, but from a lot of other people. And I am joyed and thrilled this morning to report I had none. So I pondered that and prayed about that because I thought, well, then did they just not hear? I truly believe the example is from the New Testament. And it goes back to when Jesus, after having been baptized, was swept away into that 40-day period of temptation with he and the devil themselves. And if you remember that story, if you remember that scripture, Jesus refuted everything the devil said by what? Giving his opinion? No, he spoke the scripture. He spoke the truth. And the devil never had a comeback. He just kept moving to another topic, trying to get Jesus. As I thought about this this week, I thought, that's it. We must stay firm to the Word of God. We must speak the Word of God. And how can anyone, although there will be someone, sometime, somehow, some way, try, how can we refute the Word of God? The only way that comes to mind is if you don't believe in God, then His Word means nothing to you. But as we know, statistically, in the United States of America, most at least the majority, large majority of our population express that they have some knowledge or some belief in God. Well, I stand before you this morning to tell you, you're either with God or you're not. There are no levels. There are no McDonald menus when it comes to God. You can't choose one and leave out item two through nine. We are either in with God or we're not. It's that plain. Oh, Mark, come on. You're just being too hard line. That's what the Bible says. He says he's a vengeful God. He says he's a jealous God. The God of the Old Testament is the same God in the New Testament because it's all God's word. The same God that that was spoken of in the scriptures is alive and well and is the same God that we worship and praise right here this morning because he's forever. He's over all, in all, through all, and forever. He was, he is, and he will be forever. Today, take a stand. Take a stand. Either be with God or not. In fact, the scriptures teach us in the book of Revelation that God would have more respect 
for people if they would either be all in or at least all out. He doesn't like those ones in the lukewarm section. In fact, he gets pretty graphic in Revelation. He says with those people, he's going to, in some translations, spit them out. In other translations, it gets even more graphic. He's going to vomit them out. But we're not in that society today, are we? For the most part, the majority like to live in the gray area because it's safe, it's comfortable. They don't have to make decisions. They can opinionate themselves out of anything and justify anything. But that's not what the Scripture calls us to do. We hear people talk about the line drawn in the sand. The battle lines have been drawn. I want to tell you that the line was drawn in the sand and the battle lines were drawn back in Genesis in the early chapters. When things happened in the Garden of Eden, contrary to God's perfect plan, the battle line was drawn, period, end of story. It was a battle line not of left or right or color or party or anything else. It was a battle line drawn of good and evil. And that's the only battle line that we should be concerned about. It's interesting, though, as you study this, when we mention the word battle, most of us, our thoughts go directly to weapons and and devising plans and offense and defense. We get into the action mode of battle and war and things of that nature. And we all go, wow, That's exactly what the Old Testament had. How many times were there battles and wars and destruction, swords and spears and killing as God went through that time to bring his people from that Garden of Eden, trying to discipline them to bring them back into reconciliation with him. Even sacrifice itself was literal on the altars. We look into the New Testament and things change somewhat. We don't read a lot in the New Testament about literal wars and battles. And and, and in our Wednesday morning Bible study, something was brought up that was just confounded me for all the years that I had read the scriptures and had never picked up on that. And I would like to start there this morning because it I want us to see that we have to change our minds and our mindset. In regards to when we're talking about battling spiritually for God. If you'll look with me to the book of Luke. Luke, the gospel of Luke, chapter 22. Familiar passage. But I want us to look there. Because I'll be honest, I just never picked up on this. But once it was brought out into the light, it really amazed me. So we've gone from the Old Testament now to the New Testament. We're in the Gospels here in Luke, Jesus speaking again and talking, and he's getting ready to be, go to the garden to be betrayed and getting ready to start on the path of his crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection. And in Luke 22, look at verse 36. He's speaking to the disciples. He says, and he said to them, but now whoever has a money belt is to take it along, likewise also a bag. And whoever has no sword is to sell his coat and buy one. Now we kind of blow through that scripture and head on down because we're getting ready to go into the Garden of Gethsemane. 
But I want you to to hear what Jesus was telling the disciples here. He says, look, we're getting ready to go through this process of, of this journey. Whoever has a money belt is to take it along. He says, take your money. Likewise, also a bag, whatever's packed in it. And whoever has no sword is to sell his coat and buy one. Jesus tells his disciples, if you don't have a sword, I want you to sell your coat and buy one, okay? So now let's flip on over because we see what takes place, the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is betrayed. Now look over in Luke 22, verses 52 and 53. So it's in the process of the betrayal, and then Jesus says, um, let's go back a few verses. Let's start in 47. While he was still speaking, behold, a crowd came, and the one called Judas... One of the twelve was preceding them, and he approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those who were around him saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them, no more than had gotten out of his mouth, and asked the question, they didn't give Jesus a chance to answer, and one of them struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus' response in verse 51, but Jesus answered and said, stop, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come against him, have you come out with swords and clubs as you would against a robber? While I was with you daily in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this hour and the power of darkness are yours. Here's what I want us to see. In verse 36, Jesus is talking to the disciples, says, hey, look, if you don't have a sword, I want you to sell your coat and go get one. And so they do, or at least somebody did, and they take him out with them to the garden. And all of a sudden, Judas betrays him. And the disciples, somebody screamed out, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? But before Jesus had a response, the sword comes out and they strike. Whoever struck was pretty good or pretty bad, depending on which way you look at it. If it had been me, if they had given me a sword and I'd struck, I'd probably hit the guy right in the middle of the head, not because I tried to, because I'm such a bad aim. But this guy didn't hit him in the middle of the head. He wiped off his ear. And what happens? Jesus says, stop, no more of this. Picks up the ear and puts it back on. Now, wait a minute, Jesus. Just in a few verses earlier, you were telling us to take our coat and sell it and buy a sword and take it. Interesting, isn't it? We had a great discussion in Bible study of this whole paradox. Why would Jesus tell them to sell their coat, buy a sword, and take it with them if he didn't want them to use it? Then when they use it, he says, stop, and heals back again. And as we discussed it, it came down to, we thought, possibly, it was the lesson behind that Jesus wanted the disciples to know and understand that even though you have a weapon, whatever it might be, in regard to the spiritual battle in which we are in, it will not be necessary to be used. You must be able to be cautious. This morning, I want us to look at visions as well. Chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. 
Keep in mind what we just talked about because it all kind of goes together here. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, a passage where we read and then end up preaching about the armor of God, which is an incredible, incredible message. Just incredible. And I pray that you would take time to read about the armor of God and break it down piece by piece and study what the pieces reflected because it was more of a, a parable teaching about the pieces because those pieces were real to them because of the Roman influence that was going on. But I want to stop just short of getting into the discussion of the pieces of the armor with the few verses that precede that, beginning in verse 10. It says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Listen carefully. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. He goes on, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Verse 13, therefore take up the full armor of God... So that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. And in verse 14, just the first two, two words, stand firm. In Ephesians, we learn the directive of our commander-in-chief. He begins with telling us and focusing us on the real power that we have as men and women of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against man? No. Against the schemes of the devil. And in verse 12, listen closely, he explains to them, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Folks, the message has not changed. God's word does not change. The call to you and I and to the army of God is the same as it was then. It's to take our mind off of the physical, although that is what we see that is the deluge that surrounds us. That is what we feel, hear, and touch. But we, as the people of God, must stand up and stand firm on the Word of God and then be focused where He wants us focused because that is the success of being able to proclaim Jesus. When we get waylaid or sidetracked into the physical realm of the battles that lie before us, we begin to go in the strength and direction of the world versus the strength and direction of God, our commander-in-chief. It's not a physical battle. The consequences of the spiritual battles find themselves in the physical realm. But we cannot let that sidetrack us from that which we are called to do and to be for God Almighty. 
We must continually allow our minds to be transformed and renewed, understanding the spiritual battle in which we are in. It's not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And how do we, how do we contend with that? We're strong in the Lord. How do you get strong in the Lord and the strength of his might? By reading his word, digesting it, studying it, reading it, and then being obedient to surrender to it and to live by it. And beyond all that, to speak the truth in love. There is no refuting God's word. God's word is God's word. There are those that want to take parts and grab onto those. But that's not what God wants. He says we're all in or not in. We accept from Genesis to Revelation and everything in between. We don't try to change it. We don't try to water it down. We don't say it any other way than the way that God himself dictated it to those who wrote it and were divinely inspired and gave it to us today. When he says in the New Testament to let our yes be yes, we need to do that. Even though it might cause some people to be uncomfortable. God's word is God's word. Right is right. Our society has become experts at watering things down and changing the wording so that it fits what we want, where we want, when we want it, and how we want it. But we, the church, are those who have been called to make sure the truth is proclaimed. And no matter what the cost, the Bible says, the truth must be proclaimed. It's not a popularity contest. It's not about winning people to come in here to fill our pews because they feel just all goody about everything. In fact, it should be quite the opposite. Not that we want to rub it in anybody's faces, but we want to make sure they understand the battle from Genesis on, from good and evil, that all of us have to make decisions. And justifying or changing God's word to meet us where we are will not work. Because he is a God of righteousness, a God of discipline, and yes, a God of love. Because he tells us that he will help us to become all that he wants us to become. As hard as that will be or might be, but he'll love us and give us the strength and power to do it. We have to be different. You cannot claim the word of God and not be different in some form or fashion. Your speech will be different. Your friends will be different. The choices you make will be different. And I'm not saying all gaudy out there, but it, there will be a difference. There has to be. And instead of remaining silent on those things that are becoming challenging, we must look to the word of God and speak the word of God. Not my opinion or your opinion. Oh, we all have them, don't we? But that's not what God calls us to speak. He asks us to speak his word in love, the truth. And then it, let it be what it is. If it's a loss of a friendship, it's a loss of a friendship. And I know that's tough. But I would rather lose a friend here and help them hopefully see the truth 
and possibly see them in eternity in heaven than not speak the truth and God go, hey, why didn't you tell them, Mark, when you were there? You had the opportunity. Why did you cower? Why did you fear? Why did you back away? The truth is this, according to the word of God, the only way to be reconciled to God Almighty and to live eternity in heaven with him is through, the, through Jesus. That's what the Bible says. That's not what Mark says. As we spoke last week, the Ten Commandments are the Ten Commandments. I didn't write them, folks. But we must speak them. And guess what? He meant them. Every last one of them. And all the Word of God, He means it. You know, it's amazing how many times, especially the New Testament says, if you have an ear, let them hear. Isn't it? Kind of like your elementary teacher smacking you upside the head going, listen, listen to me. Over and over, God said, he who has an ear, let him hear. Hear the word of God, digest it, and then live by it. He's calling us to be all he wants us to be. So that the world can be all that it wants to be or needs to be, so that they too can spend eternity with him in heaven. I want to share with you just a couple passages from the Old Testament as well. If you'll turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Because even though we think the Old Testament was just, it's just full of wars and, and killings and, and all that stuff, and it is, it's amazing. I'm in the book of Leviticus now and through the Bible in a year. I'm trying a different uh, advanced or a faster program. I, I, I'm trying to read more than one a day and, and so on and so forth. So I'm in Leviticus right now, and I'm just telling you, Wow, I, I, I don't know how those priests got anything done other than sacrifice. And I'm telling you, I would not, I may be okay as a minister today, I would not have qualified as a priest in the Old Testament because I would have been puking my guts out all the time when they were sacrificing and slaughtering all these, these animals and then pouring the blood out at the base of the altar or putting their hand in it and touching all of that stuff. I, I don't know that I, maybe God would give me the stomach for it, but I, I'm not sure. But we know of the Old Testament, all the wars and things like that. I want you to, to see something in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 47. Now, if you, if you know this chapter, you know this is a familiar passage as well. It's about David and Goliath. But something that David says here, I think sometimes we miss because we want to get on to the, the action scene, Right? We all know what that scene is, right? We want to get to the action scene where he takes the pebble and takes the slingshot and lets Goliath have it, right? You're just so anxious to watch a movie to get to the action scene. Everything else is boring. Well, I want you to see something that David says and as he teaches that day before he goes on and takes care of Goliath. In verse 46, he says, This day the Lord will deliver you speaking to Goliath, up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your, your head from you. Now, that's a little violent. I get it. He goes on to say, and I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That's what David says, I'm going to do this. But in verse 47, listen to what he says, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. David was pointing out to everyone, even though they're going to see this event take place in front of them, 
with the pebble, with the slingshot, and then the, the taking of Goliath's head, and then the destruction of the Philistine army. Even though they're going to see that, David wants to make a point here. He says, look, it's not about the sword. It's not about the physical altercations that's going to take place. He says, so that all that they would know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. David wanted the people to understand, God is God. He needs no sword. He needs no physical altercation. Those things are allowed and happen, and we know from the Bible that they did. But really, God is God. And he needs us as he needs those, when David was speaking, to understand that it's not the best sword that wins. It's God that wins because it's his battle. If you'll turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 15. One other verse. As again, they were getting ready to go into battle here. Uh, Judah was invaded. Jehoshaphat's involved. I just want you to see one verse. Chapter, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 15. It says this. And he said, listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you. Do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. They're looking out and seeing the armies before them. And you have to, you have to understand that they were human just like we were. And, and you look out amongst the battles and you're standing there maybe with a sword and, and maybe less men or whatever the case is. You have to realize that the human kicks in and going, oh my gosh, th there's no way we can defeat them. There's no way. But here, as with David and many other examples in the scriptures, people of God are reminded the battle is not yours, but God's. Listen, my friend. Word of God proclaims to us. The moment in time in which we now currently live is not about a war or a battle physically. Oh, again... The consequences of that which happens spiritually come down to us in physical nature and physical realms. So we'll see that. We've already seen some of that take place because of anger and hate and divisiveness. We've seen people react in ways that they feel is necessary or the only way they know how to react. But I want to call to the body of Christ, to God's army, to understand that the Word of God says this battle or any battle is not ours, it's God's. And he wants us to understand that it's not of the physical nature, but it's a spiritual battle. And therefore, he's called us to remain firm in the Lord and the strength of his might. And by putting on his armor and standing firm in his word, he has it. He has the victory. He always has, he does today, and he always will. God's got this. We're in the midst of the battle. But the battle in which we're in the midst is not ours. It's God's. And he's got it.